0: Is there anything you would have done differently? we reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call in the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew
1: Cuomo is having a moment.
0: Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt.
1: And I'm Eliana Johnson.
0: Welcome to Ink Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Ho, ho, ho.
1: I was going to say, we are recording on Thursday, December 23rd, so Merry Christmas to everybody. Christmas we are Eve well past. Yeah, we are well past Hanukkah, but uh, Chris, what are your Christmas plans?
0: Well, I will... So, I when Christmas falls at the end of the week, I don't know what the comparison would be for you or what the analog would be for you, but Christmas always takes us a little bit by surprise. The year ends quicker than we think, right? And 2021 has been, I compared it to like a Keurig, uh, a lot of hissing and sputtering, And then ultimately a a weak and unsatisfactory result. (laughs) But when Christmas falls at the end of the week, it is extra surprisingly fast. It comes upon us extra surprisingly fast because it's like, is it now? Oh my gosh. So I think that I have done everything I need to do for my boys to get them to to make sure that they feel spoiled. It's important that they feel spoiled at Christmas and that they feel that. I I so that's your is boys are what,
1: 14 and 11?
0: 13 and 11. And okay. they're what they're, are the
1: gifts that that young gentlemen want at, th- at these ages?
0: They're very sweet. They're not demanding. They're really like when I was a kid, I was a, a just a I was a horror when I think back on. And my brother and I would negotiate with our parents, well, this could count C as my birthday and Christmas C. And then if we do do that and do the other thing. And I was grinding. The boys are like, whatever. Uh, it's no surprise my eldest man child asked for it, which is a <laughs> an R2D2 Lego, a very large R2D2 Lego that you put together. It seems to be about two, three feet tall. So he wanted that. And his brother wants a, a fitted set of golf clubs. He's had little kid golf clubs, and now he wants to have real golf clubs. So he'll do that. Those will be their larger ones, but the best thing on Christmas, and this is the most important part of Christmas is the stockings and crap giving kids lots of, and, and adults too, lots of crap to play with and candy, funny candy, kind of funny gifts, interesting gifts, lottery tickets, goofy stuff. That. I love those sorts of geegaws and gimcracks for Christmas.
1: That's funny. I hate that kind of stuff. I'm like, can we just stop at like the nearest 7-Eleven and get rid of this, this, these tchotchkes? I don't want them cluttering at my house. But of course, I'm like not a fun person. So you are too. Uh, a fun so person. that's, that's predictable. Uh, I hate coming home with like the stocking filled with um, like shoe polish and
0: who's giving shoe brush. polish.
1: My mother in law is it's always like shoe polish, a toothbrush, whatever. Just I don't want to get on your
0: mother-in-law's bad side, but those are mean Christmas presents. Shoe polish and a toothbrush.
1: Stocking, yeah. And then like the glitter from the stocking, like all over the car, you know.
0: Frivolity is key. The one of the things that I am most excited about. Whimsy. uh, Whimsy Whimsy. is the key. One of the things that I'm most excited about is it's like a a gyroscopic yo-yo that hovers it has blades in it that that allow it to hover it's a ball that that flies back to you in a boomerang fashion I am super excited about playing with those I'm very excited all their toy the stuff that they've got that we'll get to play with I'm I would really be going
1: in about. my 7-eleven trash bin too so <laughs> <laughs> what about the lottery tickets
0: would you accept those
1: probably not I mean oh man not a big gambler Tough uh, crowd. okay front page are the stories that we thought were most important this week. Chris, we are now coming up on, I mean, this is like an old story now. Mansion Palooza. So, so Joe much. Manchin, this was like, he like kicked the White House. Well, after he pinned them to the ground by, not only did he announce he was a no vote on the Build Back Better uh, social infrastructure plan, but he went on Fox News to do it. So the coverage of... Maverick Joe Manchin's announcement was amusing to me in so many ways because I think the closest uh, parallel we have in recent history is John McCain's thumbs down I on a whole piece Obamacare about that, yes. repeal, repeal on the Senate floor, which was argu- arguably like a bigger insult to his own party because he waited until the legislation was up for a vote. He went on the floor of the Senate. He gave a uh, a photo op, the thumbs down, which uh which uh will not be forgotten anytime soon. But Manchin, suffice it to say, like nobody's calling him a maverick or celebrating him in the media. So McCain is McCain's the maverick. Manchin is basically, you know, a piece of horse doo-doo. Um,
0: I, uh, what's your I, take? I wrote a piece for the dispatch. We'll uh, link it in the show notes that uh headlined Manchin is Dem's Secret Santa. And it I made the explicit comparison to McCain when McCain gave the thumbs down, he was doing Republicans a huge favor. And there were plenty of Republicans I talked to, because if not to talk about the news, I want to talk about the news about the news, but just for the framing here. There were tons of Republicans that knew that the Rand Paul skinny repeal, we will fake repeal Obamacare now and promise to actually repeal it and replace it in three years with something that we don't know what it is, was dumb, right? They had Republicans' failure to come up with a plan. They they had
1: no backup plan on what they were going to replace. They had no replace.
0: Yeah, they had. And and they didn't even have repeal because they found out too late that repeal wasn't popular. Obamacare was unpopular, but even more unpopular than Obamacare was uh, repealing Obamacare. And they found it out too late. They misunderstood the situation. And John McCain, who had just been that same month diagnosed with brain cancer, said, I don't care. Thumbs down. And he got them out of a jam and they were able to go on and pass the tax cut, which worked for them and da 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 da. So he did them a favor. And it allowed those senators who wanted to vote against it but couldn't face primary voters having voted against it to say, oh, that John McCain, he's so bad. Manchin has done the same thing here. The Democrats painted themselves into a corner on the dumb Build Back Better, which was a – it was ill-conceived and poorly executed. Okay, Chris, um,
1: this is your analysis – this is your correct analysis, but – You would not know this from the media coverage. Like you're reading the New York times. You're not reading Joe Manchin pulls Dems back from the brink. Joe Manchin saves Democrats electoral prospects.
0: And I know why. Well, number, number one, because there is a, a, because of a partisan bias, but there's another reason, which is the war on both sides ism in the press. That is to say that there are some positions that are not legitimate and there aren't really other sides to the question, has decided that there is not a discussion to be had about climate change. There's just nothing to be said about climate change. We're, it, it is, it is an urgent existential threat for humankind, and the talk around it is so loose and so reckless, and that, so Joe Manchin was depicted in the coverage here, not as a cagey politician angling for more power and advantage for his home state, sometimes he was, that's not fair. Sometimes that was the case. But using climate change and the the religious component of climate change coverage, that he was an enemy of all human life. And it was hysterical and ridiculous.
1: The best example, and I'll, I'll let you talk about the New York Times piece, but Sam Stein, Politico's White House editor, tweeted, you know, 30 seconds after the announcement, a lot to process on the mansion news. But from a substantive standpoint, it's just objectively devastating for the planet. The last best chance at climate change legislation is gone. What? We need like some special music for for this tweet.
0: I think it's sad trombone it,
1: objectively devastating for the planet.
0: Well, and also the last best chance at climate change legislation is gone till when for how, for what, how about how, tell me how Joe Manchin voting for, I forget how much it was, but it was several hundred billion dollars. I think it was three or $400 billion. Dollars. By the way, less than the amount that would be given as salt tax breaks Right. The amount of money that was for green energy was, when I saw it, less than the amount that was going to be given away in tax breaks to high income residents of big cities and suburbs, wealthy suburbs. How spending $500 billion or whatever on batteries and solar panels, the absence is devastating for the planet or that somehow this is the last best chance at, that that was the best chance for saving the planet that's preposterous and i saw you shared the tweet with me and then i looked at the replies and he was def- he defended it like don't you see don't you see people he did not even in hindsight and it's hard to do did not even in hindsight say yeah i got a little carried away
1: and my favorite is the efforts the the efforts to create Neutral seeming press coverage advances a storyline that Manchin, you know, Occam's razor is Manchin is doing these things because he's representing his constituents. But no, like, let's complicate the narrative. It's actually venality. It's actually personal interest. And that's a New York Times story that uh, that you flagged for me.
0: Yeah, the, the quote from the Times piece, uh, West Virginia coal gas, coal and gas and policies designed to stop their burning have always had a special place in Mr. Mansion's politics. True. A mansion family-owned business has made a small fortune from selling waste coal from abandoned mines to a heavily polluting power plant in the, st- in the state. The blind trust in which Mr. Manchin in- insists lie held between, or I'm sorry, in which Mr. Manchin's interests lie, held between $500,000 and $1 million last year, according to his most recent disclosure form.
1: There it now, is. It's all you need
0: to know about the no vote. But think about this. a f- the value of this thing that is a family trust is worth between $500,000 and a $1 million. That is a lot of money to have at once, but that's not the money that he has. That's how much it's worth. And that he is doing this for that is preposterous. He's doing it because it's made him the most powerful United States Senator. That's why he does it, because it makes him powerful. He does it because- he would
1: like to be reelected.
0: And he also might like to be a, by the way, you can feel the rooting on the left for Manchin to be a Republican, right? They want it. And even though it would take control of the Senate away, they probably assume that they're going to lose control of the Senate anyway, but they, they want him out. They want him gone. They want him to be, to show his true colors and become a Republican, which I don't think will happen because it wouldn't do Manchin any good. He would be not powerful. He would be much less powerful as a Republican than he would be as a Democrat. He can always switch and be a Republican after the election if he wanted to. But I don't think he wants to. I don't think it would be good for him in West Virginia or in Washington. But I think that's the coverage of his potential party switch is I think there's a thirst for it to be true, for him to show his true colors and be a Republican after all.
1: What do we have next year? Oh, this is fun. (laughs) Uh, this is all
0: you chris well i mean well actually let's let me flip it on you okay the the logical next story is where mansion made his announcement was on as you said fox news and he went on fox news sunday which is no longer fox news sunday with chris wallace brett bear was filling in for chris wallace when mansion came on to drop the boom lower the boom on me on biden and it was a, a very good, they they had very short notice on Wallace. He was, uh, that was a, he, he, um, he nuked him. <laughs> and- Well, he
1: the, did, he did to Fox News what Manchin did to the did to, White to House. To Biden, right. Well, so,
0: so they had to, they had to bring Brother Bear in uh, to to do it for a week and got a great thing. They got Manchin, they, they made news and Manchin of course made the objectively correct choice in where to announce it because it's much more watched in West Virginia than the others so this was this was good but now the question is who will replace chris wallace and as you say do does it matter does it matter
1: not really no i
0: i think the sunday shows the truth about the sunday shows is
1: yeah i was going to say nothing about fox i just don't think that they matter anymore like network television doesn't really matter they don't drive news the way they used to um you know who cares
0: Sunday shows were important at a time when you couldn't get enough political talking heads. Now you can get all the talking heads you want day and night, night and day, 24 hours a day, on the internet, on cable news. So Sunday shows were important when they were rare. Now everybody does it. You can get it everywhere. It's sort of of like Playboy used to be titillating. Now we swim through an ocean of pornography in America and Playboy is basically bankrupt. So Sunday shows, are to, uh, Sunday shows are to interviews as Playboy was to pornography. And that is all true. But it's also a directional indicator for a network. These are choices. It's sort of like Oscar bait. Nobody cares about the Oscars anymore, but uh, studios want to win Oscars and they want to point in that direction. And especially with a high profile departure like Wallace, who they choose will be an important directional indicator for the network. So, so who should it be?
1: Okay, I was going to ask you, like, I mean, you're the insider. Who are the options?
0: Well, I don't know, and it will depend on what they want to do. They could make it mega, mega, right? They could, because Chris Wallace was, was very negative from a lot of core Fox viewers. So maybe they want to give them something. Maybe they want to give them more red meat. I think Dana Perino, and I know I'm biased because she is a dear friend of mine, but I think she would be great, great, great for the gig. I think you could put Bill Hemmer. Her partner in that gig, uh, Jillian Turner. I mean, I could come up with a list of people on the news side who could do it. I doubt Brett Baer wants to give up his six o'clock show to do a weekly show. But I would, of course, for Fox, pick a serious journalist, a person who wants to do a good job and to show that the brain drain that we've seen this year is not going to continue. I think it would be a good time to plant a flag and say that we're serious and that we have a serious journalist and we're going to do this. Any bets? I mean, I think they might split the difference and take John Roberts. I don't know who, I don't Why know. Why is that
1: who, splitting the difference?
0: Well, cause he puts a little more sizzle in the, in the, in the sauce. Uh, he, 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 he knows how to, he, he puts, he puts a little more crackle on there uh, than some of the other guys, but still has a history is credible. His, his years as a white house reporter and all that stuff. So that could be it. I don't, I don't know. And certainly if they picked Roberts, that would be saying this is a news product. Some people have talked about Brit Hume, which I think is, would be directionally wrong because you'd want to have a young person. You know, I was
1: going to say, I mean, I like Britt Fine and everything to me. That's just like, we have nowhere to go, but back. Uh, yeah.
0: that That's, that's how that would, whoa, that's how that would feel. Kind of uh, and yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe it'll be Jesse Waters.
1: Speaking of which,
0: <laughs> go, go. Well, okay. So Here's a, it was a, so I don't know whether you paid any attention to this, but Charlie Kirk's group, what's it called? Turning point USA. Yeah. Is that Correct. So they had their conclave in Arizona, accurate, the, the correct place. They had their, they had their annual meeting, which basically the theme was, Hey, CPAC, hold my beer as they got wild and woolly out in the desert. And this is where Sarah Palin vowed that over her dead potty, would she ever be vaccinated? And there was all kinds of frothy craziness. And in the middle of this, Jesse Waters was talking about how to ambush interview Anthony Fauci, the most hated man for the populist right. And he said, he's talking through and he's excited. He's like, he's like frothy about it. And he's intense. And he says, now you go in for the kill shot, the kill shot with an ambush deadly because he doesn't see it coming. And of course, on the left, there was a freak out like he's calling for Fauci's death, which he was not. He was not calling to murder Anthony Fauci. What he was doing was using an extended murderous analogy to to a angry, frothy in an era where we have we're aware that political violence is real about killing. Anthony Fauci, this hated person. It was uh, incitement and reckless and all that stuff. And the the Fox statement was, it's more than clear that Jesse Waters was using a metaphor for asking hard-hitting questions to Dr. Fauci about gain-of-function research. Uh, And his words have been twisted completely out of context. That is very weak sauce. That is very, very weak sauce. Uh, what, What Jesse Waters was doing was irresponsible, even as an analogy. And just don't defend it all. Just say it was an error in judgment. Cause if you say it was an error in judgment, no one will care. It will not matter. Your viewer is not going to say, well, he's they said it was an error in judgment. And now I refuse to watch Jesse waters anymore. You can apologize for using bad judgment and they will still watch you on the five.
1: Chris, I'm like literally yawning right now. Cause it's just all so stupid. Like, What he said is so stupid and the response is so stupid stupid. and it's just all like so boring and i was thinking this week the waters thing is so dumb but i am i am vaccinated i am boosted and like i am so freaking sick of fauci Um, oh my gosh i am actually sympathetic to you know the jesse waters and the fox news viewers' view of fauci and i was just thinking this week like if someone like me feels like that like maybe this guy isn't the most persuasive person to put out there to convince people to get vaccinated Um, and it's just like you know jesse waters and the fox audience like they don't pretend to be respectable they don't stand on pretext and whatever. And this isn't a defense of them at all. Like they're pathetic and stupid and whatever, but I am so sick of this guy. I don't want to see his face ever again. And like, you know, the, if, if I were Jesse waters and the Fox people, I would fault Trump for not firing because the guy is honestly like he's intolerable. The lack of humility is so intolerable. And the fact that like the mainstream continues to bring him on and you know, supposedly in the cause of like disseminating public health information is ridiculous.
0: But I take your point. And here's the thing. This has been true for a long time. It's been true for a year. <clears throat> anybody, 18 months. anybody who was going to be convinced by Anthony Fauci is convinced. There yeah. is no one out there who might, who is undecided about whether to get vaccinated, who could be convinced by Anthony Fauci. And I I recall when, I think it was was it Hollywood magazine? I forget which magazine did its cover with him on the cover, sitting by the pool, and it was like Anthony Fauci's cool down. It's like don't do that. It's sort of like what they did. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was had more dignity, but it's sort of like what they did with the elderly Ruth Bader Ginsburg, where it's like, yes, Queen, you are the icon. You are the dot of the notorious RBG. And they turned Fauci into a mascot for uh, I Follow the Science. And, you know, what's going on here? And we know this.
1: And RBG was more impressive and more deserving of that sort of lionization But was than still, he is. But
0: still wasn't who they Agree. said she was. They, she still Agree. wasn't who she was. But, who, but, the, but he, the people who, it's very hard to say that you were wrong. It's very hard to say that things have changed. And I noticed the coverage, we're recording this on Thursday, and Wednesday was a great example of coronavirus coverage insanity. All morning, I'm seeing stories, I'm reading stories, I'm working on this book, so I'm like, my face, and I was writing a column, and so my face was just stuck in the news all day. All morning, story flow is... We're all going to die. This is the worst. Bill Gates says coronavirus. This is the worst part. Worst, worst cases are up. Horrible, 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 horrible. And I'm like, yeah, but it's good news because it's the Omicron. Omicron is going to defeat Delta. And Omicron is like the flu, right? It it is what people, you mentioned Britt Hume, but it is what people wrongly said at the beginning when we were in stage one. They were like, oh, coronavirus is just like the flu. That was wrong and reckless. But that's what's happening. These mutations are making it less deadly. So, but all morning I'm seeing the coverage. Worst ever, everything's shutting down. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then at about two in the afternoon, the study hit that said, eh, it's actually uh, very mild. It's, uh, very, very mild. And it was like record scratch. And then for the rest of the day, they didn't know what to do because they have been hyping coronavirus. And in Fox's case, hyping anti-coronavirus like resentment of the resentment of coronavirus uh controls they have been hyping this story endlessly and they don't know how to come out of it they don't know how to walk away from the story but as this so at the beginning they said we're going to follow the science and the science is leading us to a point where we should be less alarmed right that's where the science is leading us. Yeah, I mean,
1: unfortunately, no matter what, you're left with a judgment call. It's like the science doesn't lead you to a clear, and that's what bothers me about Fauci. It's like, see your relatives, don't see your relatives. Like these things are judgment calls. It's not like follow the science leads you to an answer.
0: His, his, I, I, I fault him most of all for his need to stay in public. Totally. A, a, per, a person of more humility... Would have realized at a certain point, I'm not actually helping here. I'm totally. gonna I'm gonna pass on this interview. And, it, it and almost when he makes goes you on, you
1: think maybe the result he claims to be seeking isn't actually the you know, I'm his sure goal I, here.
0: Look, it's very hard. It's very hard to come to terms with the fact that. You're not helping, right? And he wants to help. I'm sure he wants to help. I'm sure he wants to do a good thing. But if you have made a decision that you're going to go on TV to rebut accusations from Jesse Waters, from the co-host of the Five, that you're like, I'm going to wait in on this. I want to respond. I want. And CNN's like, get on over here. You've lost the thread, and I think I think he has. And I also think that the Biden administration is powerless because any move to sideline Fauci would be met with furious shrieking from the RBG-like cult that has formed around him.
1: Chris, we're late to this next item because this is from a December twelfth, so we're like ten days late to it's this. It's the um, Christmas
0: show. But, but yes, take it easy on uh, yourself. Yeah.
1: Wow, we were—I was animated with such holiday spirit in my last item and my approach to Fauci and <laughs> and Jesse Waters and everyone else. But uh, but the San Francisco Chronicle did this amazing article about Kamala Harris, the headline of which is. Kamala Harris has redecorated the VP's office. Of course, I'm not a subscriber, so I I can't like read the whole headline. But uh, what is the rest of this? It's basically about here's the meaning behind her choices.
0: It's in the politics
1: section, not even in the style section.
0: (laughs) It was there's 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 and she's their home hometown. Like she's their their hometown woman. There's that's I understand that you're that you're likely to get more favorable coverage in your hometown newspaper. But holy smokes.
1: Yeah, maybe we want to put a style section on this on this guy at
0: at a moment where her (laughs) political future is a burning pile of garbage (laughs) and everything has gone wrong. And she's had a terrible, terrible year. And that even people on that would be natural defenders of her have been moved to say not not great, Bob, <laughs> not, not great. The San Francisco Chronicle does this piece that are like, what is the importance? What are this? What is the symbolism of the individual pieces in her new office re- redesign? And it's like, guys, yeah, at, at least put, as you say, at least put a style banner on that.
1: Well, the best, my favorite part of this is that the same day Harris does an interview with the San Francisco Chronicle. Right. So she goes to her hometown paper, obviously, because they do this kind of hard hitting coverage about well, and, her and decorating change. And she's trying to office. get back
0: on the good foot. She's trying to get, she, yeah. she's, try, she's trying to, to reclaim her image. So
1: the headline is as follows One year in, Kamala Harris says she won't be distracted by, quote, ridiculous headlines. I mean, good to know that if you wanna be president, <laughs> you just will not let the bad press coverage distract you but the example that she carps about of the ridiculous headlines was an intentionally ridiculous and trolly washington free beacon article which no clearly way. got under her skin what was uh, it i just thought it was so funny so kamala what goes to paris and she stops at an expensive cookware shop and we will link the piece in the show notes, but the beacon calls up the French cookware shop and says, What did she buy? And we run a piece in, with the headline in all caps Exclusive, Kamala Harris bought $375 pot on Paris trip. Subheadline Spending spree at French boutique comes as US families fret over cost of Thanksgiving dinner. Um, she took it seriously. Much, very yeah, yeah, yeah. much tongue in cheek and very much intended to get under her skin. And I'm just and so succeeded. glad. I'm so glad she's clearly not letting these things distract her. Didn't I mean, like, obviously she's being distracted about things, these things and spending time complaining about them. It brought me so much pleasure because, of course, like we live to bother these people. And I did think it was funny. Like, I, I wish the coverage would have noted that, like, this is what she's being distracted by. As she says she as she vows not to be distracted
0: by it. It's, it's tough access, it's tough personality-driven coverage is tough because you need access to the people and then you got to do it. And it's it it's, can get real icky out there. This was pretty icky business. I just to note a funny, uh, which is the, so we are, we're doing our best to, to stay abreast of the not yet, but soon to be uh, Trump news and social media platform, which is, what's it called? truth social. I guess. Uh, okay. Whatever. I'm, not, I'm
1: not doing as good a job as you are staying. Uh, people, people, staying people,
0: are, people are saying it's probably the best. People are saying it's probably the greatest social media platform in the world. But one of the things that <clears throat> they say that they're going to be is uncensored, right? It's going to be a censorship free space. You can do whatever you want. So they've put out their terms of service. And this was flagged uh, by Patrick Hedger, uh, crusader for getting people to shut up about these things said that one of the rules of joining truth social is that you shall not disparage tarnish or otherwise harm in our opinion us and or the site so that is like
1: how i run the free beacon you and, may not and, tarnish eliana or the site
0: and you're the boss applesauce so you can and by the way jk it's their Devin Nunez is the CEO. <clears throat> it's it's theirs. They can do whatever they want with it. They can say that to post here, you have to wear a straw hat and a garter. <clears throat> Very on brand though. It's fine. But then you can't also attack Facebook. It it's just it points to the absurdity of their attacks, their the 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 depth of their attacks on existing platforms and existing news outlets of course you have to have rules about what people can post and there and the and the rule that they put forward is not even about stopping misinformation or anything else you can't be mean to us you can't come on our site and say things we don't like is the ultimate if you if you call that censorship, and I don't, that would be that. That would be the most robust kind. You can't say bad things about me. Is the is is a terrible kind of censorship?
1: I mean, it's just so it's totally on brand. Chris, you loved Ben Smith's interview with Brandon of Let's Go Brandon fame. Um, so it was so well done. it was beautiful. It was really really nice. And we should say uh, we just interviewed Ben Smith. We will air that in January, and we were able to chat with him about this. I recommend Um,
0: it to everybody. A beautiful piece. So we will
1: link that in the show notes as well. uh, Ben's interview with Brandon, but what did you like so much about it?
0: It was humble. There was a humility in, in, you know, on, on both of their parts, there were, uh, you know, Ben Smith went down to the Virginia racetrack where Brandon what's his last name Brown, Brandon Brown. Yeah. Where a Brandon Brown was, was working out and, you just had to feel for this kid who all he wants to do, I say a kid, he's a kid, he's a young man, but all he wants to do is drive fast, right? He's Ricky Bobby. That's all he wants to do is just drive fast. And he and, became
1: this, uh, the is icon the right word or the avatar of the anti-Biden movement, like through no fault of his own, through, he, not through his he, own choosing.
0: Right. And he very randomly happened to be there while a bunch of drunken goofuses were chanting F Joe Biden and this is the 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 reporter who was interviewing him after his win said oh are they saying let's go brandon and that was the birth of the taunt let's go brandon for joe biden and here's this kid who is a republican he uh, admits under questioning uh from ben smith he is a republican but he didn't probably want to like
1: talk probably like 90% of race car drivers
0: yeah i think i think among mm-hmm. the nascar universe yeah you're at a super saturation there, there's a reason that there was a group of drunken Uh, jerks chanting profanities about Joe Biden at the race was not by accident. So this, and by the way, any event where you are going to have large clusters of white men, you're going to have a very Republican space because white men are very Republican. Anyway, he so much does not want to be this. Now he could have, and Ben Smith points this out, he could have leaned into it. And there are a bunch of guys probably who would have, who would have killed for the chance to be like, I am the Brandon of Let's Go Brandon. I'm gonna start selling t-shirts. I'm gonna go do a bunch of interviews. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on Sean Hannity's show and talk about how I love it. And it's so great. But he the kid just wants everybody, he he wants to just race and for people to know him as a as a driver. It was great. And then Ben Smith was very humble. We talked to him about this in our interview, very humble about in the end making a decision that he was not going to try to because what he could have done be like oh yeah well you're a white male in a, a republican leaning sport you're a republican yourself aren't you part of this what about the culture of nascar and he didn't and he talked about it transparently and it was really well done
1: he's like i think i saw i think i can discern a noose you right know, whatever
0: <laughs> exactly exactly is it how answer how you feel about na- how nascar has treated black drivers over the years yeah he, there's tons of stuff that he could have done but he was he he showed humility and grace. And uh, I like it. I like it when journalists ask tough questions, but there are times for very tough questions and there are also times to show humility and grace. And he did.
1: Chris, our final item on the front page. I was saying that we should we should do a search of the sharp up- uptick in the use of the term mental health in <laughs> news articles over the past decade. But New York Times article, another surge in the virus has colleges fearing a mental health Crisis. So, we just what this New York Times piece leaves unanswered is how this compares to the mental health crisis at Yale brought on by daylight savings time. Daylight savings time.
0: Yes, that's Excuse right. The, the the greatest The greatest article we know of the 2021 at, uh, on Yale students struggling with daylight savings time, but the COVID college mental health crisis written up in the Times. This is a, a piece. Anamana. Arch Colas writes this piece about, and she does it at WVU, or she writes about WVU in the lead, West Virginia University, let's go Mountaineers, about a suicide threat letter found in a men's bathroom, embellished with illustrations and poetry. And this is hard to talk about because mental health is serious business, right? Suicide is serious business. We have to treat it seriously. We have to not stigmatize People who want to seek help, we want to, we know a lot more now than we did before. But this kind of coverage treats these people, these students, as impossibly fragile, treats them as not, you know, like, look, to to make a hackneyed comparison, the men who stormed the, the beach at Normandy were the age of these kids, right? If you're 20 years old, you're an adult. And treating the disruptions in college schedules by coronavirus in terms of a safety and mental health thing infantilizes these kids, reinforces this fragility, reinforces all of this stuff, and covering things from a mental health – we should cover the failings in our mental health system more. We should talk more about how people can't get mental health services that they need. We should talk – that is a, a scandal and a crisis in – small towns and big cities all across the country. We have serious failings in our mental health safety net. But instead, this is coverage of how fragile college students are and how they might be affected negatively by coronavirus. And it's infantilizing, It's it's and it's harmful in its own way.
1: Well, something else actually really bothers me about this coverage, which is she's saying that the measures that we're taking to mitigate coronavirus are having these real costs and yet there's absolutely zero analysis of what the relative risks to young people are of this virus. And if the measures are so costly, like what is the cost benefit analysis here? Should we be enacting these measures? Maybe we shouldn't. And there's zero, like basically the necessity of the measures is totally taken for granted by the reporter. And I think that is like a, a freaking huge miss across the board. And same with the coverage of the elementary school closures, which it had, which have had costs. And I don't think there was a lot of reporting on like, here are the costs. And guess what? A lot of people say, like, given these enormous costs, maybe it wasn't worth it
0: given risks. risks. Here, here is, uh, so you've heard me complain before about unanchored statistics and my hatred of them. My old boss, Stephen Smith, taught me to hate unanchored statistics. And here is a doozy. Quote, many parents and college administrators have been troubled by an outbreak of suicides. Among them, three all first year students since November 2020 from Dartmouth, Two, possibly more, since July from Worcester Polytechnic Institute, WPI. Two in September from St. Louis University. Three in September and October from University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And deaths, unquantified, from Yale and Princeton. Here's the next paragraph. It is unclear whether the number of suicides is going up. (laughs) Holy cannoli lady. How dare you... Do this like three here and two that sounds like a lot. Is that a lot? I don't know. Is that a little or is it how does that compare to the overall population for suicide? How does that compare to what the rate of suicide is for other uh, 19 year olds? What is it like? No context. And then just the sentence it's unclear whether the number of suicides is going up. So maybe there was no point to this story. So she just halfway through throws in. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. I don't know, but people are paper, concerned paper about it. Paper of
1: record. Everybody. Yeah, here's
0: here's an article. Oh, by That's... the way, that note that they found in the men's room at WVU, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And so this amazing. is a, 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 a careless, a sensationalist kind of reporting.
1: Uh, Chris, it is that time for our obsessions. Heck yeah. I now think I should have made that New York Times article, my obsession. But um,
0: but this could be like
1: your obsession for every week. I feel like this is your obsession. Every it week. is,
0: it is, it is my long-running obsession, which is bring back obituaries. Obituaries are important. Uh, they are a great way for Americans to understand each other, understand their neighbors, see them in all their humanity. Bring back obituaries. Do it, it's worth it. And please, please do it. And I I offer as evidence the the obituary published in the Fayetteville Observer of North Carolina Renee Mandel Corin. here is the lead a plus-size Jewish lady redneck died in El Paso on Saturday of itself hardly news or good news if you're the type that subscribes to the notion that anybody not named you dying in El Paso Texas is good news in which case here I got in, uh, in which case have I got news for you the body fertile redheaded matriarch of a sprawling Jewish Mexican redneck American family. And it goes on from there to, to tell this the beautiful story of this gal. And, and here's the kicker. She says, please think of the brightly frocked, frivolous, funny, and smart Jewish redhead who is about to grift you, tell you a filthy joke, and for Larry King's sake, laugh. Bye, mommy. We loved you to bits. And Look, this is more of a death, this is more of a paid death notice than an obituary uh, because the family obviously wrote it. But there are Don't you
1: want to be a part of this family?
0: I would be scared a little bit, but into it. I want. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be in the family. I want to be friends with them and go to parties with them.
1: Totally happy to be. In well, the I family.
0: think these may be. You may actually be related to these people. <laughs> <you're> I kinda... probably.
1: <laughs> They're probably long lost relatives. She
0: sounds a little like you, and I just would say make time and space and spend money on obituaries. They're great stories. Newspapers.
1: That was wonderful. I loved that. Thank you for flagging. Mine, of course, is less feel good, but the Wall Street Journal had a wonderful article this week about the Washington Post's grappling with declining readership in the post-Trump era. This piece by Benjamin Mullen. Washington Post grasps for new new direction as Trump era boom fades. The subhead is news outlet's audience is down sharply amid sector-wide declines. Subscription growth has stagnated as readers look beyond politics. Chris, I would say this is a testament to this. This like affirms your taste because every week you're here complaining about Washington Washington (laughs) Post coverage and apparently your views are widely shared. But it struck me as like you know, putting data on what we all know, but I loved, okay, so the story starts, top Washington Post officials gathered last week and discussed how to respond to a major problem the news outlet is facing, a sharp decline in online readership. Executive editor Sally Busby said she was struck by a presentation showing that in one stretch of 2019, nearly all of the 50 most popular articles on the Post's homepage were related to politics, whereas in the same period of 2021, just three of the top 10 were related to politics. This is the best part—it's so hilarious. Miss Busby weighed in with her conclusion. I mean, this woman must be a freaking genius. When political news falls out of favor with post readers, the news organization needs to be in a position to excel with other types of stories. Chris, huh. I mean, this woman like uniquely equipped to tackle this challenge. Um, but it is so interesting. They clearly like are not well positioned to fill this gap, and and uh, people aren't as interested in politics. Clearly, uh, the post-Trump era has left. Uh, a lot of people wanting, and uh, you know, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy.
0: Uh, I think the post obviously did not come through the Trump era as well as the New York Times uh, or the Wall Street Journal, and in part, Geez, it is, maybe
1: they should have been doing more hard hitting coverage of Amazon all this time, Chris.
0: I don't think anybody cares about that. <laughs> I I think that. So, do you remember the phrase "Flood the Zone"? Yeah. Is that
1: that like an old phrase that has gone out of style and I missed that like no one says that anymore?
0: So it was the term I believe coined by Howell Raines, who was then the editor of the New York Times, to talk about what the paper's approach to stories was going to be, which is when a big story is happening that we think our readers care about, we're going to pour resources, we're going to take reporters off of other things. We're going to flood the zone with super saturation coverage. And that's what we're going to do now on some things. This could be good. If you have a crisis happening. Yeah, that's fine. When coronavirus started, it would make sense. We're going to give people want coronavirus coverage. They need coronavirus coverage. Let's give it to them. It makes sense. You can't though flood the zone all the time the zone cannot always be flooded or there is no zone and there is no flood it's just how it is if everything is an 11 on the scale nothing is an 11 right because it's just it just becomes one tone of hysterical ridiculousness and we remember when cnn went all in on the missing malaysian jetliner remember that There's, there's the a group
1: cruise. Remember the, poop yeah, the poop cruise. cruise. Well, I, I
0: will say I enjoyed the coverage of people uh, having diarrheal experiences in their luggage was
1: <laughs> darkly funny. Uh,
0: if you've ever, if you've ever had to poop in your toomey, me, uh, that's not a good, that's not a great day. <laughs> but their cover it, the, they, they embraced flooding the zone. You want, you want, you care about this airliner. We're going to just super saturate it. So the post tried the same thing with Trump and they, they gave their hokey little, their corny, little democracy, self-serious democracy dies in darkness tag. And they went in on Trump coverage in the way that CNN did uh, the way that certainly MSNBC did where it was, you know, resistance HQ and Trump, 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 Trump all of the time. And guess what happens when, you know, Donald Trump was right without Trump. There's a, you know, what are these, what are they going to talk about? And I, you know, give Busby a break. She's saying something to an audience that she wants them to hear. She's not expressing a revelation. She's saying to them like, Hey guys, we've got to not flood the zone all the time. We've got to have other, and the post does have great coverage and there is stuff at the post that's really good, but their business model was driven by hyper addicted consumption of. Political news, most of which was designed to depict Republicans as bigots and monsters, uh, and devoted to Donald Trump in a way that not even America, the 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 Washington Post was more committed to Donald Trump uh, in its own way than Fox News was. And from obviously a negative perspective, but this that's what happens. You just if the the zone the zone gets the 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 dam breaks and the zone doesn't flood everything floods and it gets everywhere. And I hope they can take down their democracy dies in darkness. I hope that they can temper. We need them, right? I want the Washington post to be good and successful. We need a good papers and I hope, I hope they learn.
1: (laughs) Well, that's a good transition to Chris's favorite time of the week. Where unlike what I just said, I am forced to say something nice, but Chris, you are going to lead by example.
0: Well, I just, I want to give a, a shout out here to the great Scott McCartney, who for 20 years has been the travel writer for the wall street journal. We'll link the piece and the headline grilling CEOs dancing to Australia. He did it all from the middle seat and he wrote the middle seat column for two decades at the Wall Street Journal, where they also have the greatest, autom- I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but their, their auto writer is also the best in the biz. Uh, but McCartney is good. He was a reader advocate. Uh, he really saw himself as uh, sticking up for, advocating for, and coming to travel from the perspective of his readers. It, it's an old fashioned, but humble and helpful way to do the work. He did it with a great sense of humor. His piece about riding uh, where he worked a ticket counter for you with at United, he got United, United, let him work a shift on a ticket counter in O'Hare. His getting a CEO to ride in the middle seat <laughs> to ride, to ride coach on his own airline and stuff like that was heartfelt and funny and well done. And just two decades, very well done, Scott McCartney. Thank you.
1: That really was fun to read. We got to link it because the article itself contains all these other links that are so much fun. You could spend like two hours um,
0: really good. going down
1: the rabbit hill. Mine uh, was an article that Chris actually flagged. It is so awesome. The headline is why I wear capes, parentheses, and other men should too. It is amazing. And the picture is of a man wearing a cape by the designer Celine, um, of which I am actually a great fan, but not of this man cape and it's a great article but do not if you are a man or a woman actually like
0: oh a woman um, can wear anything i don't know you could pull it, off a cape
1: this is a very pictures worth a thousand words kind of thing well certainly um, go
0: to the go to the link and see charlie porter uh yeah in, you gotta in his his see capes. This
1: guy you gotta <laughs> see this guy wearing voids. wearing a cape and but, the and then the article starts I have a psychological block with capes. This is a bro- problem because I am also a huge fan of capes. I own four of them; <laughs> two are recently brought from from Celine and John Skelton. Blah blah blah. And then it announces that capes for men are having a moment, which I don't know. Little but did like, you know. Definitely, definitely, this is like news you can use, men.
0: Little did you know. Don't like that. This, go- this goes to a point which is so this is in the financial times and sometimes it happens in the wall street journal. Hey guys, don't do men's fashion. Don't do it. Do women's fashion, but you could basically just have a standing link and I'll write the piece for you. Here are the four suits that you need to buy as a man. Here are the three pairs of shoes that you must own and don't change it. Don't change it. Don't men's men's fashion writing. Now, there are people, like, there are men who, like, wear Tom Ford and who are fashionistas and they're into it. And I get it. Like, I get that part. These are business publications. Men like me who read these things, we are not going to go buy a cape, right? We are most definitely not going to go buy a cape. And, like, just stop with the men's fashion writing people. Just at the business, business pubs. You
1: don't want that article to exist even if you're not going to buy a cape?
0: I mean, I want it to how exist, but you. only to mock it. I want it to exist, but only That's to mock. That's a
1: great reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's, and see, this is how we always come to the last segment differently. I, I, I want to sincerely praise. And sometimes you may do be doing the opposite.
1: That is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If and- you have any strong feelings about men in capes or any cape spottings that you want to alert us to, please email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Inkstained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches.